Would you join me? Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5. And in a moment, we'll read our text. Um, just kind of tell you at the outset, we are not going to be bouncing around to a lot of other scriptures as often or as much as we may normally do. Um, I think most of the truths are, are contained right here within these verses. And there will be plenty for us to look at this morning. Uh, you see the title already, uh, Christians as Salt and Then Light. Christians as Salt and Then Light. And uh, you'll see that in our text in just a moment. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, haven't always done this, so we've just completed the eight Beatitudes, spending one week each on those. And basically those are the expected progression of a Christian. This is what a Christian should become. It begins with being poor in spirit and acknowledging that you don't have any righteousness. So much so, and listen, we just sang a song about the simple gospel. And today's message is not so much giving the details of the simple gospel as much. This is a message mainly, you'll see why, geared toward Christians. And so if you say, I'm not a Christian, then talk with us afterward. But the simple gospel that we celebrate is that there is a God and He's holy and our holiness offended Him. And He has to punish because He's not just holy, He's a just God. He has to punish our sin. And we can't go live with him forever in heaven. You just can't. Unless, and this is what he did, God loved us so much that he himself became a human being at Christmas. And it's Jesus who is God. Why did he become a human being? So that he could die on a cross for all of our sins. And so our sins have been paid. And the simple gospel is you don't have to do anything to go to heaven except Believe the promises of God the Father about His Son, that His Son's death on the cross is enough to pay for all your sin if you'll receive it. So the sin's been paid for. Why would you pay for your own sin in hell when Jesus has already paid for your sin? But you have to believe. You have to receive. You have to trust. There's no work in that. It's just the receiving and believing, the trusting, the resting in, the depending upon. That's the simplicity of the gospel. Once that takes place, then today's text applies to you. We haven't done this each week, but I'm going to back up to verse 1 for the context, and you'll see why in a moment. Verse 1 of chapter 5. This is called the Sermon on the Mount, the kickoff to three chapters, the best sermon that's ever been preached. Jesus gave it and said, Matthew writes in verse 1, Seeing the crowds, there's crowds, he, Jesus, went up on the mountain. Real event. And when he sat down, that's the typical way that rabbis and master teachers of that day taught. They would sit down. His disciples, so there's a crowd, but the, Matthew says his, Matthew's in this group. Matthew says his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and taught them. So the teaching is to the disciples. There's a crowd that we'll see in here, but his teaching is to disciples. And then we went into one week each on the eight Beatitudes. Now... Skipping ahead to verse 13. To those disciples, Jesus says the following. By the way, if you say, I identify as a Christian, I'm a Christian, then you need to read this as to you. God in the flesh said, you are. You are. Verse 14, same thing. You are. Oh, no, not me. <laughs> not me. I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those. You are. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are. Verse 14. You are 
the light of the world. Well, not me. You are the light of the world. This is not saying, hey, did you know, Christians, you can be the salt of the earth. You can be the light of the world. No, this is saying, Jesus says, you are. Now look at the verses in continuance this time. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, if it's lost its taste, something's not right, it's lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. People interpret that different ways. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Whether it be in the daylight, a city up on a hill, you're coming near, hey, there's a city up there. Or at nighttime, a city is a conglomeration of lights. Many lights combine. Hey, there's a city up there. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor should it be. Verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp. So you have a little basin of oil. You've got a wick in it in their day. You light the lamp. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Hey, did you light the lamp, son? Oh, yes, Father. All right. Take it and put it over in the corner under that table and kind of put a blanket over the table. I'll tell you what, first, just, just put a bowl over it and then put the blanket. Uh, but, Father, why do you just, just do what I say, son? Just kind of put it over there and cover it up. <laughs> Nobody does this. Verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. Did you light the lamp, son? Yes, I right, go put it on the stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light, hey, hear this this morning. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I'm not going to have time at the end of the message to really dig into that verse. So let me just throw out one thought. This idea, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. This actually is like combining the salt and the light. And the idea of the good works there means not just works that have a good end and accomplish a good end. Hey, that was good, what you did. It literally means to do that in an attractive and winsome way so that people will notice it, be drawn to it, be appreciative for it. And then in that moment, you're very clear and your motive is don't look at me and give thanks to me for what I did for you. But what I want you to realize is that you must be on God's heart. You must be on God's mind. He's the one who's brought about this good deed. He just used me to do it. To God be the glory. If that's really your motive, then you're being salt and light. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14. You are the light of the world. Again, this is not saying you can be. So I've emphasized the word are. Now I want to flip. You ready? This is literally what the passage has been saying all through the Beatitudes. I'm going to emphasize the other word. You are. You are. Not me. Yes, you are. But watch. You are. And what it literally means here is you, Christians, disciples of Christ, and only you. If you're taking notes, here's our first thought. Only you as Christians can be salt and light to your generation. 
So we'll sometimes attribute, man, that fella, that lady, she's the salt of the earth, and they're a non-believer. Technically, they're not the salt of the earth. They may do some good, nice things. They may help, help people out, but they're not the salt of the earth. And listen, they're especially not the light of the world. They can't be. Only Christians are the salt and light, but Jesus is saying it's you. You are, and you are, and only you are the salt and light of the earth. Four thoughts this morning out of these four verses. Four thoughts. Number one, when you think of salt, where's your mind go? I know some of you probably, I would be if I was sitting, I'll just tell you straight up. I, if I was sitting where you're at and I had a handout, I'd probably be going, I think I know what that point is. I'd be guessing all the points. That's what I do every time I listen to a preacher. I don't know why. My brain goes ahead of me. Some of you are thinking, salt. What do you do with salt? What's salt good for? I know something. All right, let's hit three things about salt. Now, I have to confess again. Jesus does not tell us exactly what he means by salt, and so we're going to fill in the blanks, and I, I hope we're not harming. I'm quite confident we're on safe ground saying these things about us Christians as salt of the earth. Number one, what are we to be? As salt, Christians are to make people thirsty. As salt... People, Christians, are to make people thirsty. I finished typing this on Thursday. Yesterday, I get home. Deanna and Eric and I, we went for a little quick day trip. Mainly just ate somewhere. Went around some shops that didn't have anything we wanted. And then we drove back down to Anderson, right? And, and then I took a little short nap and I got up. I'm telling you what, I was so thirsty. And I don't know why. I guess the Lord put them there because I don't normally see them. There were these two little mini Gatorades that were in there. I got the, I downed one. I never drink these things. I downed that. I'm like, man, I'm so thirsty. And then I realized I'd had this buffalo chicken wrap thing that had all this other stuff in it. For some reason, I was just really, really thirsty. And that tells me there was a lot of sodium chloride was in what I ate that morning. And I was just thirsty. Christians, listen to me. You are here to make people thirsty for Christ. You're here to make people thirsty for Christ. But if the salt's lost its taste, wherewith shall it be salted? What good is, what good is it? It's just good to be cast out and trampled underfoot of men. Or is your life making people thirsty? And you may be sitting there saying, how are we to make people thirsty for Christ? What are we supposed to do? Go out and say, hey, be thirsty. I'll go to work tomorrow. Hey, you and the other Ben over there, be thirsty for, and that's not going to work. I'm going to tell you straight up. Now, let's just be honest. We looked at this last week in 1 Peter chapter 4, I believe it was. The Bible says that the world is sinful, and they will think, it, they will think it's very strange that you don't join them in the sin, in the debauchery of sinfulness. They'll think it's strange. Why don't they do that with us? But they will notice that you don't. And they'll think you're a little weird. So this point is going to take some time. But listen to me. Sin is miserable. Sin leads to emptiness. Let it run its course, and they will be found empty. And if you have certain qualities in your life, they will then notice it, and they will be thirsty for what you have. What do you have? You have a relationship with the Lord. How do we make people thirsty? I believe, this is where my mind went. I told you we went and do a lot of skipping around today. Flip over Galatians chapter number 5. Would you look over there? Galatians 5. You already know where we're heading. Galatians 5, verse number 22 so Paul had written to the Galatian church what the works of our flesh. So when we're in charge, this is what we do. Here's our list. Sexual immorality, 
impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's us. But verse number 22 is talking about Christians. Paul says, but the fruit of the Spirit. How do we make people thirsty for Christ? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Let me pause. So the verses are still on the screen. What is fruit? When you see vibrant fruit on a tree, you can tell yourself that tree is alive, that tree has grown, that tree has a measure of health to it because it's putting out fruit. And so when you see fruit, spiritual fruit, in a Christian, this list of things, this like singular fruit in these different ways that it's coming out in their life, then you can mark it down. That person has spiritual life, that person is growing in the Lord, and that person is a fruitful Christian. Look at the list again. But the fruit, we could say it's the byproduct. The byproduct. The evidence that the Holy Spirit's in someone. Look at the list again. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. When the Holy Spirit comes in, you find yourself becoming a loving person. Joy. It's going to be a little theme here for the next few minutes, not just on this point. Peace. Patience. Patience means steadfast, patient endurance. You work at this, in this office, and this person works in this office, and you both struggle with the same person. They can't handle it, and for some reason, you have long-suffering. They get bad, you get bad news, they get the same bad news. They are devastated by it. You are troubled, hurt, you have concerns, but you run to the Lord and your peace is never shaken. There's something different about you. They're noticing they have the same thing. They got the same report that I got. What's going on in their life? The list again. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's what he's doing. Joy, peace, patient endurance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, self-control, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Guys, I want to propose to you, as you look at that list, can we, let's go to the next, the next slide, write this note down, and then I want to come back to that list. So here's our note. So the Holy Spirit, when he comes in our life, produces evidence of his presence in our life that we really are true believers. And he starts leaving these byproducts, love, joy, peace, patient endurance, and such. Now, once you finish writing that note, I want you to look back at the list. Well, if this was Wednesday night, I would really drag it out, but I don't have time. I'm going to give you my opinion in a moment, my opinion. But those of you who have already completed the note or you didn't write the note, that's fine. Look at your verses, verse 22 and 23. There are nine fruit of the Spirit. We can make an argument for all of them, but I put five as a list. Which of those fruit in a person do you think would make, especially make an unsaved person, if they saw that in your life and they knew that it was because of your late relationship with the Lord and, and they hear you talk about God lives inside of you and God produces these things, which of those fruit do you think might make people thirsty for what you have, thirsty for a relationship with your God, with your Christ? As you look at, like, really come up. I'm not going to ask you to say them out loud, but really look at that list and you say, well, I, I, I can see how that may make somebody thirsty. Raise your hand if you thought of one. Anybody picked one? How many of you got, like, I think two or three. Two or three. 
I end up putting five. The four that are not on the list I'm about to get you, I'm not saying they're lesser important. And you may say, oh, Jeff, one of the main ones, you left it off. I want to propose to you that these following fruits of the Spirit in a person will really make an unsaved person in time after sin has been found empty and they've hit rock bottom and they've been working with you or they're in your family or they live beside you and all of a sudden they notice, I want what that person has. I want to propose to you these five. Love. I want to add a little word. Undefeatable joy. Undefeatable peace. Patient endurance. Self-control. In other words, they can't control their tongue. They can't control their fits of anger. They can't control their body's desires. But the born-again person, it's a struggle. But the longer you walk with the Lord, your tongue is under control. And your body's appetites and desires are kept under control. And you find yourself being given to this list of fruits. i got to just, before we move to point number two, does your life have these fruits? Does your life have this effect on people? Real simple. Where you work or where you go to school, would people that know you say, I would like to have a relationship with God like that person? Are you making people thirsty? Be the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Number two. Number two. This one will be more brief. As salt, Christians are to add flavor and zest. And that's what we think of. We think, yeah, salt does make us thirsty, but mainly our thought runs of salt. What do you do with salt? You put it on food so that it adds some zest and it brings out the flavor. Can I just say real simple, guys? Graceview, if you're associated with Graceview, I hope that you are adding flavor to life. Christianity should be adding the flavor to life. So when I quote often, again, I don't agree with everything that he writes, but William Barclay writes a couple of things. He even quotes a couple other men. Listen to these quotations. Barclay says, Christianity lends flavor to life. He says, the tragedy is that so often people have connected Christianity with precisely the opposite. They've connected Christianity with that which takes the flavor out of life. Do you know there are people in Anderson County, they think of Christians and Christianity, and oh, that's horrible. They take the, the whole point, the whole fun out of life, they just kill it. And he quotes Oliver Wendell Holmes years and years ago. I don't know if it was junior or senior. Senior was a poet and an author and a highly quoted man. Junior was one of our chief justices of our Supreme Court. So I'm not sure which, but Barclay quotes Oliver Wendell Holmes. Listen to this quote. Holmes said once, I might have entered the ministry like as a preacher, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. Like, ouch. Hey, by the way, somebody has to be an undertaker, right? But if you're an undertaker, don't look like an undertaker. What do you do for them? I work with dead bodies. And so it's, just, it's really bad. No. And we have awesome guys that do this here in town. What? Holmes is saying is, I really would have gone into the ministry if it hadn't been for the preachers. They made it look horrible. I don't want any part of that. Robert Louis Stevenson, he, Barclay says, once entered this into his diary. Now, here's the key. He wrote it as if it was something very unusual. It was unusual. He wrote the following. I've been to church today, and I'm not depressed. I don't know what happened. I went to church, and I'm not depressed. This is amazing. What does that tell you? 
You usually go to church and you walk out. To, I, don't, I don't know about you guys. I hope y'all don't walk out. To, I don't know, we talked about persecution last week. I walked out of here ready to live for the Lord. Because what the Lord had shown me in the text in verses 10 through 12 last week. Please don't. I hope you don't walk out of here like, boy, we just felt beat down after every time we got to This poor man been to church. It wasn't actually that bad this time. I hope this is no one here, but I've got to say it. Do you know that there are a lot of Christians, they're like wet blankets. Blankets. Some of you love a blanket. You like a book and a blanket. You like a fireplace and a blanket and a book or binging on some show, right? You love your blanket. But what if your little stack of blankets were just saturated with water? Just sat. I've thought about that. What good is a wet blanket? I thought of one good thing. One thing I could do with a wet blanket. I can put out a fire with a wet blanket. If you think of something else, you tell me after. The best thing you can do with a wet blanket is put out fires. You know there's a lot of Christians, they're wet blankets. They're literally known for what they're against. Anything fun, they're against it. Do you know I've actually been associated with some Christians like that? And I could tell when people like, they, they start asking these questions, and I started learning not to give too many hints about who I was associated with because I don't want to be associated with that. And they're like, who, where, where, and what, and this, and Oh, yeah, you're that group that takes the fun out of everything. Oh, you're, those, you're that kind of Christian. Like, no, I promise, I don't want to be that. Are you that kind of Christian? Christians must be adding flavor. Do you know some Christians are known by what they renounce? They're known by what they speak against. We're against that and against that. And You've you got to hear me, because in a moment, you're going to realize the truth of what I'm going to say. Sometimes we have to renounce. Have to. It's part of being salt. But our renouncing is not our identity. Our identity is not what we're against. Our identity is who we are for. We're for Christ. And because we're excited about Christ, and because we love Jesus, and we love God the Father, yes, sometimes we have to renounce, but that's not the main thing we're about. The main thing we're about is the simple gospel. We get excited about that. Because this relationship with the Lord, well, we do have to renounce some things in ourselves and then around us. But boy, some Christians, they're not known by their relationship with, their, with the Lord. They're known for renouncing. Is that all we're known for? I hope Graceview is not the renouncing church. Christians' lives should be marked by joy. Is your life marked by joy? Now, guys, I'm going to be honest. There's going to be days... Ecclesiastes talks about the house of mourning. There's going to be days that we go to the house of mourning. We may spend a little time there. But that's not our, like, permanent residence. I want to give you a simple, simple notice. I mean, the fifth graders that left here a while ago could understand this simple note. But it's a simple thought. And I told Brandon this. I said, this is a simple message this week. Salt and light. So simple. But this little thought, chew on it. A joyous Christian. Is this you? A joyous Christian has great influence. I've seen this on job sites. I wouldn't embarrass them because they're, they're not here. But I've, I'm telling you, and this convicts me, guys. I've seen this over and over. My brother, 
His name's Russell, and my cousin's name is Randy. They both do plumbing and contracting and things like that up in the Asheville area. Guys, a hundred times I've been on job sites where they weren't there, and when they and I'm over there working, maybe working with some other guys that were part of the company. And one of those two, they don't. They're, they're two different companies. They don't always work together. Sometimes they do, and I've seen it over and over. My brother will drive up, my cousin will drive up, and the atmosphere in the job site just changes. Hey, Russell, what's going on? Hey, man, how's it going? Guys will leave what they're doing. Hey, I heard you just went over to San Francisco. I heard you went down to Honduras. How'd that go? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like unsafe people start moving toward them. Hey, Randy. Hey, what's up, fellas? And it's, again, Randy has this crazy voice. So People just move toward them. I've seen it in some of our people here. You just have a joy about you, and it reaches out to people. Saved and saved alike start moving towards you. Why? You have a joy about you. You make people thirsty and you add flavor to life and they want to be around you. Are you a Christian that is adding flavor to life or are you a killjoy that is known as being down in the dumps and being against everything? That's you. You need to check your heart. Do you have that relationship with the Holy Spirit that brings love and joy and peace? Number three this morning. As salt, not only are we to make people thirsty, and as salt, not only are we to add flavor to life. Anderson County, but number three, as salt. By the way, I'm ascending in order of importance. As Christians, as Christians who are salty, we are to preserve against corruption. Now this is key. Jesus doesn't say what he's talking about when he's talking about that we're the salt of the earth. He doesn't identify it. Certainly salt makes people thirsty, and I believe that is implied. And salt, we know, adds flavor. That's one of the, thing, one of the uses that we use it for. But particularly, I believe, the use that Jesus has, listen, is the one that we're the least familiar with. Had we lived 200 years ago, you would be very familiar with this context. I've noticed that it's not really because we're, we're not familiar with this use by our experience. We just, we read it, but we don't really appreciate what Jesus is saying here. If you go back before we had ice, do you realize just two or three hundred years ago, people, even like two hundred years ago, people did not have ice water and iced tea and ice soda. And some of you are like, that's the only way I drink the stuff. You wouldn't have had that option years ago. And sure enough, they didn't have refrigeration. And so they have meat. And what do they have to do? They have to apply salt. Everyone would have meat. You want to have meat, more than fresh meat that you eat right now, you want to keep it for a day or two or several days, then you would absolutely have to have not a little shaker of salt. You would have to have salt. You would spend a lot of money on salt. Salt was very valuable. Some people even got paid in salt. That's where we get our word salary from. Soldiers would have been paid with, here's salt, and they would have seen that as a valuable thing. Now I can go kill animals and use them for a long time. Dig a cellar, keep it cool, maybe hang up some sheets, wet them, and let that evaporation down in there. Keep it cool, but we're going to pack salt on this to preserve the meat. What Jesus is trying to teach us here, the most important thing in this text, is that Christians are crucial. Christians, you here today, you are very, very crucial. You're very, very valuable to your generation as an agent of preservation. So salt is applied to meat, to preserve it. Christians, we are applied to this world, this generation, your time period, wherever you go in the world, you are to be the salt of the earth to that generation, that location, that group of people as an agent of preservation. 
Now, why is this important? We're talking about putting meat, putting salt on meat. Now, hang with me. Watch. Let's get real, real simple. What is meat? What is meat? Do you know when you boil it down, meat is part of a dead body? So think of it that way with me for a second. What's meat? We like meat. I like meat. You like meat. Raise your hand if you like meat. I like meat. I don't apologize for that. We get permission in the Word of God to eat meat. So I don't apologize if you're a vegetarian. I'm not trying to offend you this morning. But I can eat more than vegetables and grains and fruits and milks and cheeses and all those things. I like some dead body. I mean, I'm just telling you, straight up. When I order pizza, somebody may order pizza today. We don't word it this way. Hey, I've got to, can I, can I get some dead body sprinkled on my pizza? Oh, yeah, what kind of dead body you got? We got all kind of dead body. Well, like what you got? We got some sausage, hamburger, ham, Canadian bacon. Whatever dead body you got back there, throw it on. I like, we don't think that, but that's what it is. Dead body. And because it's a hunk or a portion, a piece of dead body, listen, you leave it to itself. Just leave it to itself. We've got some crazy preservatives now. They say you can put, I won't say the fast food chain, but they're near here. Got a, new, got a new store near here. They say there's so much preservatives in those, they have found them in like kids' lockers a year later, and they look the same as they went in there. So we found ways to put all kinds. But listen, you get dead body, leave it to itself. It's dead. It's going to get corrupt and grow in corruption. It will grow in corruption. So here's what Christ is trying to say to us as Christians. You're crucial. You're valuable. To the world that you live in. Because this world, and by that I mean the people, unsaved people. Listen, they're dead spiritually. And because they're dead, left to themselves, they will become more and more corrupt. They need preserved. Last week we talked about the Roman Empire and all these atrocities that happen. And as you listen to that, hopefully you thought there is no way. That doesn't happen today. The things that Nero did and the people gathered in the Colosseum and they cheered and the lions and the torture and the burnings and all of those things, that would never fly today. We're much more civilized. I want you to, I want you to listen. You know why that was allowed to happen? Because there were no Christians. It took a long time for Christianity to spread out of Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost part of it. And even then, they were, there were only a few. Just mankind, unsaved mankind that did not have the Holy Spirit living in them just permeated the world and they could go through that and cheer it and think this is normal. And so if you're wondering, why doesn't that happen now? Christianity has had such an effect. Let me give you another hint. Brother Henry and I were talking about this for a moment this morning. When the tribulation happens and Christians are removed and Christ comes in the clouds and literally takes us up to be with him and there are no Christians on this world for a period of time, I'm going to tell you within seven years they will descend so quickly. They think this is the great day that's coming. If we could get rid of those Christians, there are literally some people who think if we could just get rid of those Christians... This world is going to go downhill so fast. It will become so corrupt. They will not believe the atrocities that they will give themselves to. Why? Because Christians are holding back sin right now. We're the salt of the earth. Can I word it this way? And here I'm not trying to be controversial. And I realize some things I'm about to say. 
some folks won't like. I'm going to say them kindly, and I mean them kindly, but I mean them firmly. Christians, you, you are the salt of the earth. That means that you and I are to be the conscience of the nation. We're to be the conscience. Even if mocked, we have to, this is a key phrase, we have to speak the truth in love. This is where we get messed up sometimes. We speak the truth, but we do it in a hateful, arrogant, looking down as though we're above it kind of way. I'm not talking about that. We have to speak the truth as salt and hold a line and speak against sin. We have to. We have to speak against certain kinds of sin. We speak against all kinds of sin. Truth in love, not hating the people. We hate the sin, having righteous indignation against the sin and sinfulness, but not against people. But I want to tell you guys, as the salt of the earth, it is up to the sleeping church in America. We have to say something about abortion. It is being celebrated in our country. It is running rampant. Anybody who stands against it is made fun of on six out of the seven news channels. They're just berated and made to be looked at as very silly. The other day, I never do this, but I flip on the TV. Guys, what is right is being mocked at and laughed at, and what is wrong is being celebrated this week in the United States. This week. Paraded around and celebrated like they're heroes. I don't know the details. The other day, and I've never watched these. It was about 11.30 Thursday night. Got in late. Just wanted to veg out for a second before I turned the light out. Checked one late night show. Got sick of him very quickly. Flipped over to the other one and was very sick of him very quickly. I won't say Kimmel's name, but anyway, <laughs> he's, he's up there doing his little spiel. And the only reason I watched as long as I did is because of what he was talking about. He was talking about some politician, government official, one of the states not far from us. I don't remember which one. Now listen, this man made a pact with his wife that he wouldn't be alone with a woman. And she made a pact with him as, her, as his wife that she wouldn't be alone with another man. And a reporter, a lady reporter, wanted to follow him around. And, and he said he's, you know, she was going to shadow him and do her reporting and he had to get in his truck, and he said, you can't be in my truck with me. It ends up this big national story. Oh, and of course, Jimmy Kimmel, oops, takes the angle that the reason he can't let this lady in his truck riding around with him in his 10-hour day, he tries to pull the angle that it's because he can't trust himself with another woman. No, listen, let's call it what it is. An accusation today is assumed to be true. It's not innocent till proven guilty. It's you're automatically guilty if somebody makes an accusation. So this man takes a wise step. It's not a bad thing if a man says, I'm not going to be alone with another woman for his wife's sake. That's not a bad thing, but he is being mocked, and Kimmel's crowd there in Los Angeles is just yucking it up and cheering him on. Big old skit. Boy, I got mad. I was like, ugh. I hope it was righteous indignation. What's wrong is being called right. And what's right is being mocked and made fun of. Guys, we've got to speak out against pornography. You know it's being celebrated. It's like looked at as cute. Celebrities go on and acknowledge. And everybody looks up to them. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's a regular part of our life. Literally, this is happening. 
Sexual promiscuity right over here in this high school very soon. They will be looked at as the cool kids because they're sexually promiscuous. It's what's coming on the college campuses, on the job sites. All the guys look up at the other guy who's sexually promiscuous. That one commits fornication and that one commits adultery. And they're not ashamed of it. And no one speaks up. The church is silent. We're not doing a very good job of being salt. Homosexuality. Truth in love. This week it is being celebrated in our country. All we have to do is say lovingly. God is against that. Adultery, that's a sin. It atrophies the soul. Fornication is a sin. It atrophies the soul. Abortion. We're not going to get by with this. You don't kill a million and a half babies year after year and God's okay with it. Judgment will come to us. It's not that we hate people who participate in that, who've had that done. Someone here in this crowd today has probably had, we don't hate you for that. We just want you to know, don't do that. There is hope. Turn to the Lord. Talk to God's people. Don't have that as an option. We've got to speak against these things. Divorce is getting totally out of control. The church, we're to be the salt of the earth. Now, before I leave this point, and we go to our fourth point this morning, listen carefully. It's a simple message, but next few minutes, just little subtle things. It's not that deep, but catch it. Listen. Salt, a Christian's life, living a certain way, and even vocalizing truth in love against sin, Sins that atrophy the soul. Sins that are being celebrated in our country. Listen, salt, a godly life will not cure deadness. If you have putrid, maggot-infested meat, throwing a bunch of salt on it will not make it fresh. Jeff, what's your point? If Christians live so saltily that we eradicated abortion and sexual sins and divorce and sins that atrophy the soul there are no more of those sins in America it would be a better place to live but it does not mean that America would have saved souls salt a life that preserves against corruption does not make the dead thing come back to life only Christ can bring life out of deadness and out of corruption. What he's asking for from us is Christians, let your light be so salty that you are just, by the way you live and by the way you speak truth in love, you are holding sin at bay. It's always moving. They're always moving the line. But make it go slow by how you live and how you speak lovingly the truth of the word of God. Hold the line. So the thought is, Christ is wants us to be God's preserving agent in your family, in your workplace. You say, oh, if you knew where I worked, hold the line. Don't join in. Let them do it over you. Be the kind of person, boy, that it's kind of hard to say what they always say because here you come. Make it easy to do the right thing when they're around you, hard to do the wrong thing when they're around you. Now, briefly, look at verse 13. And then we're going to go to the fourth point. Look at verse 13. You, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, Jesus says, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. But if salt has lost, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? 
Do y'all know that the world doesn't know it, but they need you and I as Christians to be as salty as we can possibly be. They need you and I to be as Christian in love as Christian as you and I can possibly be. They need it. Again, they think they want a life without us sometimes, but we are holding back the tide of sin, and they need it. And now here comes Jesus and says, but if salt loses its flavor, its taste, its saltiness, then we're with. You know what he's saying? Christians, listen. If Christians don't do what they're supposed to do, if they don't do what they are, then what chance does this world have? This world has no chance. If salt has lost its taste. Now here's the thing. I'm not a chemist. Somehow I got through high school without taking chemistry. I went to a Bible college and we surely didn't take chemistry, but here's what I know. All right? Sodium chloride, salt. Do you know that that does not become lead or iron or tin or magnesium or potassium or calcium or carbon? It doesn't. It's stable. It stays the same. Oh, well, I guess Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. We caught him there. See, he's implying that salt can become something else. Well, he missed it there. If salt's lost its taste, salt doesn't lose its taste. Hang on. Some have used this passage to imply that a Christian that is salt can lose its flavor, its saltiness, which means, see, they had salvation. They've lost their salvation. No, listen. Salt never stops being salt. And a Christian never stops being saved. So if that's true, and it is, then what is Jesus' point here? Here it is. His message is for his audience of his day. Their main source of salt was the Dead Sea. The problem was the Dead Sea is full of salt, but when they would get salt out of the Dead Sea, it had varying levels of salt. So the salt content would be higher in this batch and lower in this and really low in this. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you as a Christian are so contaminated, you're the salt, so you do make people thirsty. You add flavor and you preserve if you're pure in your saltiness. But if you get contaminated with other ingredients and other things, then your, your effectiveness, the, the, the saltiness and the preservation and the thirst that you cause on others, it's diluted down. You're contaminated. And you say, Jeff, what's the point? Here's the point. Christians... To keep your saltiness means to not be contaminated with a lifestyle that has the exact same values of the world and has the same habits of, as the world. If I'm a Christian and I live just like all the world around me, I'm making no one thirsty. I'm sure not adding any flavor to life, and I'm surely not preserving against corruption. I'm adding to the corruption. What Christ is saying is, guys, don't be contaminated. Be what you are. Be pure. Be uncontaminated. So that's what I want to ask you. I really mean it. We're getting ready to hit the fourth point. We'll hit it flying. Here we go. But before I say it, ask yourself, am I different? Like, really? And then follow it. Am I different? Yes, I'm different. Of course I'm different. How are you different than the unsafe people around you? Like, make yourself say, they do that, and I don't. Now, there's some things we both do because there's nothing wrong with it. They do it, and I do it. But there's some things they do I don't. And there's some things I do that they don't do. Can you think of those? If you're sitting there saying, 
No, I, I live exactly like the unsaved person in the cubicle beside me, the unsaved people who are on the team with me, the unsaved neighbors that are around me, the unsaved people in my family. I'm exactly like them. Are you sure you are saved? Oh, I'm positive. Trust in Jesus and Jesus only. Then your life is so contaminated you have no effectiveness. Number four. So as salt were to make thirsty, were to add flavor, and were to preserve against contamination. Number four. As light, so we're switching. As light, Christians are to reveal truth. So Christians, this is what we're to do. Reveal truth. Look at verse 14. You, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Watch, think with me. Darkness hides, covers. Darkness covers. Light uncovers. Darkness veils. Light unveils. Darkness conceals. Light reveals. You are to be light. I'm going to tell you something else because I've been in this room many times on dark nights and it's dark, but when I flip that switch right back there, that little sliding switch, light always conquers darkness every time. When the light is on, light conquers darkness. From 500 A.D. to 1500 A.D., we call them the Middle Ages, but we also call them the Dark Ages. Why? Well, I guess the sun was dark and they must have had a lot of clouds back then. No. What it means is there was very little learning. That means that people couldn't read. The average person is born and they will die not having gone more than 20 miles, 20 miles. Some of you did that to get here this morning. You drove 20 miles. Many people would not go further than 20 miles from where they were born. They couldn't read. That, mean they had, that means they had to trust other people. They had to take their word for it about spiritual truth. Unfortunately, these people who could read were either deceived and messed up and false teachers, but some intentionally twisted the teaching of the word of God to prop themselves up as priests so that you, the people who can't read in Europe, you have to come to us and confess your sins to us and we'll give you salvation or take it back you have to live in our good graces guys I'm going to tell you something this is sad and it may take your mind in a place you don't want it to go but I'm going to tell you the truth millions and tens of millions and hundreds of millions of people died and are in hell today lived in those 1,000 year period because they believed what someone else said about spiritual truth and those people twisted it for personal power in a temporary moment they're in hell today not knowing the truth and then Jesus tells us at Graceview, but you are the light. Oh, no, no, not, not me. I'm not, yes. If you're a Christian, you are the light of the world. Write it down. Why are we called the light of the world? I'm going to give you two reasons. Number one, because we know the truth. You say, well, I'm a, I'm a Christian, but I don't really know the truth about how to become a Christian. If you are really saved, you know what you did to get saved. And if you're confused on that, then you need to question your salvation. Every Christian should right now say, oh, I know exactly how I became a Christian. I could tell it to someone else. It's the simple gospel. The second reason why we are called the light of the world is because Jesus Christ, the light of the world, lives inside of us. So we have this truth and we have the very light of the world, the original, the ultimate, the true light of the world living inside of us. John chapter number 9. 
verse number 5, Jesus says the following. He says, as long as I am in the world, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I have Jesus Christ living inside of me. Not only do I know the truth of the word of God about how I became a Christian, but I have the very light of Christ in me, and so he is to emanate from me. I am to be a reflection of the light of Christ. You are to be a reflection of the light of Christ. You are the light of the world. It's important. Verse 15 and 14. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand. What does that mean? I'm not going to go a long way around. I'm going to cut to the chase. What verses 14 and 15 mean, if you're a Christian, then you have the truth. You have to have it. And if you're a Christian, what that means is spiritual truth must be shared. You have the light. You have a relationship with God. You know the facts about how to be saved by faith and the grace of God. You receive it by faith on your end. He gives it by his grace. You have to know that. You have to have experienced that. Again, spiritual truth must be shared. And so when verse number 15 says, nor do they put, it on a, uh, put, put lamp, a light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, here's what that means. No Christian here today is to keep their faith private. No Christian. If you have somehow lived up to this point and you have kept your faith private, you're not being the light you should be. You are the light. You're the hope of the world. You have the information. You have the relationship. You are to be vocal. Salt. Life. Light. You know what it has mostly to do with? Yes, it's your life, but it's your words. You have to speak. You have to talk. Jesus says, you. So Christian, hear me. You, and I, need, I talk to myself, you are the light. You've heard it said, there is no plan B. You're it. You are the light of the world. Not hired people that work at churches. You. By the way, the darker the place, the more effect one light has. I want you to use your imagination for a moment. Really use it. Just pretend. Go with me. Pretend. I want you to picture a city about the size of Anderson. Say 30,000 people. For whatever, you there? Go with me. For whatever reason, that city has no light whatsoever. None. Not in the day, not in the night. They can turn switches on. Just pretend. There is no light whatsoever. 30,000 people live in that city. But along comes you. And you have a very bright flashlight. Let's just be realistic. I mean one that if I stood here and shined to that corner, it would make a big cone that would go out like that. I mean, beaming bright. Now, here's the, since we're pretending, let's go ahead and say it has an endless battery, right? 30,000 people, city the size of Anderson, no light whatsoever, totally dark. You come to that town, you have a flashlight that is always with you. It is bright, and it never runs out. How valuable are you in that town? How valuable as word spreads. There's this girl. There's this guy. They have a light. And there's a million, you know, 10,000 people are already in front of you, but you need to get on the list. And say, when you can, please come over to my house. There's something that keeps cutting my family, and if we could just figure it out. We've tried to narrow it down, and every time we get close to it, it keeps hurting us. Would you please just bring them? Or we have these things we think that would be really useful, but we just can't see. Please, when you get a chance, come over. You would be like the most valuable person in Anderson. It's okay, Jeff, I went with you. It's nice, nice little story, hypothetical, kind of stupid. Don't get the point. Follow me. 
real, not hypothetical. There are towns and villages in this world with no Christians. None. There are towns and villages, I mean 10, 20, 30,000 people in this world. No Bible. No Bible. Not one Christian. There are no radio broadcasts. How valuable would one missionary who is a true Christian, picture it, 10,000 people or way up a river and they're in a little john boat and somebody that's taking you into that area and they're going to drop you off and they say, over the noise of the, of the motor. Now listen, there's about 20, I think there's 2,781 people live up here where we're dropping you off. You will be the only Christian. There are no Bibles. They get nothing as far as radio waves back here. You're it. That would be exciting to me. You may hear that and say, oh, that sounds terrible. How valuable is that Christian? They're the only one. Everyone is in darkness. They're all dying and going to hell. Here comes this one. You say, well, that's just one guy. That's just one lady. You've got to start somewhere, 1492, where you're sitting right now. There was no Bible. There were no Christians. And the gospel was brought to the Americas. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, and here's your thought. I know how we think. Wow, okay, yeah, that sucked when I kind of got the point of that. Well, at least we live in a city that has thousands of Christians. You know what? I'm going to give you that. I believe in our city of 28, 29,000 people. We're talking about city limits. We're right outside of that. I think we have thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians. And if you hear that and go, see, whew, I'm not that important. Here's what you've got to remember. Some of you work in an environment, and if you're honest, somebody here would say, Actually, that's true. I think I am the only Christian where I work. Some of you, not me, this is not my family. Some of you would say, I think I'm the only Christian in my family. There are some of you that though you're surrounded by thousands of Christians in our little town here, thousands. The fact is, there may be a person that they will only listen to you. But if you would share the gospel, they would listen to you. They're not going to listen to anybody else. They're not going to listen to the other thousands of people. Not going to listen to their neighbor, not going to listen to the other person at work. But they would listen to you. But there you have the gospel, and you've lived silently up until this point. You are the light. Your light matters. As I read this this week, this stood out real clear to me, because I'm a teacher-preacher, right? And so I teach, been a lot, lots of teaching. And so here I come down to the home stretch, and I'm like, okay, Lord, where are the commands? There are no commands. It's just these statements of fact. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt's lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Lord, point. Make your point so I can... It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world, said he said on a hill, cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp. Finally, you get to verse 16. But even there, it's not really, really clear. What, is this? what does this mean? So there's these veiled commands. In these statements, they're not always explicit, but it's implied. Here it is. I'm coming down the home stretch. If Christians do not live salty lives, then the world will grow more and more corrupt, and we're just sleeping and watching it happen as if we're okay. We're the minority. We're made fun of now. They've taken over the newspapers and the airways. They've just taken them over. And we sit saying nothing. Worse is if Christians never share their faith and the light of the gospel, then people are left in their sins and people are left in their ignorance. They'll stay in that. So here's the final thought. 
salt, light, two different things. They're not the same. But Jesus melds them. I wanted, I almost thought, do I need to just preach on salt and then light? No. They literally blend together into one message about the influence that a Christian has. You are salt and you're light. Different but blended together. You have influence. Both parts are key. If I could say it this way. Salt deals with the immoral state of this world. Light deals with the spiritual ignorance of this world. So they're living this way and you're to preserve and hold it back and at least slow the process down. Light is they don't know how to get to heaven. They don't understand the word of God. They don't know anything about Jesus. They use his name as a byword. And there you and I are, we have the truth. So light is about spiritual ignorance. Salt, the immoral state of the world. Light, the ignorant state of the world. This is so key. A godly life, salty Christian life. It's like salt that sets the stage for your words of light. Our words are second because they're set up by a salty life. You can go out and use words, but if your life doesn't back it up, they're not going to listen. And there's probably someone sitting here today, oh, I would share my faith where I work or live or go to school, but because of how I've been living, I'll look like an idiot, and so I'm just going to keep my faith. Salt has to be first. A salty life that is living for the Lord's glory, that is holding sin at bay. But listen to this. A godly life, a very godly life that is lived in silence just leaves the world in ignorant, spiritual, hell-bound condition. They're on their way to hell. You can live as godly as you want to be, but if you don't ever speak up, you say, well, I read my Bible and I pray, and I'm really working on my holiness. Praise the Lord. But if you don't ever speak... We leave people in ignorance. You say, Jeff, I just don't know how to, I don't know what to say. I brought this with me. See that right there? It's a book. It's a four-lesson Bible study. I have somebody in mind. I don't know if it's about salvation. It may be about clarification of salvation. But I want to go through that with someone. You say, Jeff, I just don't know. We ordered ten of these the other day. He said, I just don't know how to share my faith and I don't... I'm telling you, any true Christian has any time hearing the Word of God preached or taught or read it yourself, you could take this book right here. It's called The Exchange. This will be the message that I'm going to share on Thursday at the, at the basketball camp. Somehow I've got to fit this in the 30 minutes or so. I'm going to do that. If you were at Quincy's funeral and you heard the gospel challenge at the end of the funeral, what did you hear? You heard The Exchange. Take me up on this. Somebody come up and say, can I have one of those books? I'm going to invite someone to come to my house or I'll go to them or we'll take 30, 45 minutes and we'll just do lunch at, at, at where we work and we'll spend one week on how God is holy and we've offended his holiness. And then the second week, they'll do their work and I'll come back. Any Christian could do this and we're going to talk about how God is just and he must punish our sin. And then we're going to come back on a third time and we're going to talk about how God is loving and how he sent his son to die on a cross for our sin. And ultimately we're going to culminate in how God is gracious and he gives away salvation for free to anybody that will believe. I just gave you the exchange. And it's spelled out in here. You give them one, you take one, you work through it, meet, discuss. Many people get saved at the end of the second week. Do you care? Will you use your light? 
Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just a few questions. Just a few questions. And then after that, I want us to have a special prayer time. Here's the questions. And be honest with yourself. Don't, don't like check out. Let's be honest. Is your life like salt and light? Jeff, what do you mean? In your sphere of influence, do you exhibit spiritual fruit? Love, joy, peace, patient endurance, gentleness, self-control. Not perfectly, I understand. But do you exhibit spiritual fruit that in time, God will use it to make the unsaved around you thirsty? Is your life such that someone who doesn't know the Lord would say, you know what, if I had a relationship with the Lord, I wouldn't mind having one like her. Well, I wouldn't mind having a relationship with God like he does. It seems real. Christian, check yourself. I find this convicting. This question, as I thought of it this week, do you add flavor to others' lives? Or do you just renounce and lick your wounds? Are you a Christian walks around licking your wounds all the time? Not very salty. Christian, be honest. Are you the kind of person, it's easy to do the right thing around you and it's hard to do the wrong thing around you? If so, praise the Lord. Another question. Be honest. When we get to eternity, will it be said that your family, your friends, think of them, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers had an eternal advantage because they were exposed to you. They heard the gospel in you because they first saw it in your life. Is that going to be true of you? If not, you say, Jeff, I don't even have this spiritual fruit. Maybe right now you didn't say, Holy Spirit, why am I not having this love, joy, peace? Why is that not in my life? I want that. I want to make people thirsty. I want to add flavor. I want to hold corruption at bay. My last two questions go really way out there. Way out there. Maybe. Maybe God is speaking this morning to one of us about going to one of those towns in the world that has no spiritual light. You heard that and you realize it's true. And it's as though something in you said, man, that would be daunting. That would be so fun. I wouldn't be opposed, God. If you sent me to a town that had 190 people that have no Bible, no radio broadcast, no Christian whatsoever, it may be that I go to Bangladesh or Indonesia and you use me among 3,000 or 10,000 or 40,000. They have no hope. Maybe I'm the light. And my last question is, if your family has very little spiritual light, if your workplace has very little spiritual light, if the campus, whether high school or college, that you're getting ready to go to this fall, you say, relatively speaking, you say, I know it has little spiritual light. Here's what i got to ask you. 
Are you planning to go there and hide your light tomorrow at work or to go to that campus and hide your light this fall? Are you, are you planning on that already? I'm just going to go and blend in. Shame on you. Shame on me. Are you saying this morning, God, by your grace, I will go to that campus and I will not hide my light. I will put it on a stand so that others may give you the glory. God, use me. Let me be salt and light wherever you plant me. Please, God, work in me. Would you pray that this morning? Father, I pray for this congregation. Lord, I pray for me. You spoke to me this week. God, I've got to be a lot more salty. I've got to speak the truth in love. Lord, I need more joy. I need to add more flavor. Father, I pray that I would do that. Lord, that do it in such a way that does not make people stand off and be impressed, but Lord, to be impacted for Christ that they would be drawn, not repelled, not intimidated. Lord, use this congregation that way. Let us open our mouths. Lord, let us get involved in Bible studies. I commit this group to you.